Well, how many of y'all are glad you are already glad you came to church today? I am so glad that I'm here uh, with you guys today. Uh, just a couple real quick announcements. Like we said, um, this Saturday is the Women's Cookie Exchange. See Rachel over here. Uh, we'd love for you ladies to be there um, and get all the details there. Um, if this is your first time, make sure that you get one of these. It has all kinds of, of goodies and everything in it for you uh, as our gift to you. And I'd also like you to turn around. You see the QR codes back here and on the other side there, back there in the back. Go ahead and scan that, and that'll take you to our, our church app that you can download. You can get all kinds of information about what's coming up. Uh, it'll take you to our website, take you to our social media sites. You can listen to sermons, all kinds of stuff like that. want to get as many people as possible on our app so that you just know what's going on. You can also go back to our YouTube page. You can watch sermons that, that have been preached. Uh, you can go to our Facebook page. You can go to our Instagram. We're, we're, we want to just connect people throughout the week. So invite you to do that. Last thing is on February 14th, which is Valentine's Day, uh, it is a Wednesday. It is also Ash Wednesday, which is 40 days before Easter. We always do a worship night then, and so all of y'all are invited back here. Um, I am very excited to announce that I am not speaking that day, uh, but there is someone who will be making their speaking debut. Um, Brandon Allen, who is here, um, will be sharing his testimony uh, and you guys are not going to want to miss that. So it's kid-friendly. The, the, it's all worship and uh, about a 10-minute message or so. It's going to be very relevant. So all families are everything, it, it, youth, children, the marriage ministry that's here on Wednesday night, we're all going to be doing that. Uh, and so and, and you're worried about Valentine's Day. Oh, I have a Valentine's Day. Well, we've got that covered too. So this Friday... Uh, over there is the parents' night out. Jenny's going to be hosting a child care for you parents to, to, to go out on a date, to do your Valentine's Day this Friday, and then come to worship night on the 14th. See, that's how it goes. It's awesome. All right. So let's get into uh, our message. We're in a series on uh, going through the book of Luke the entire year. It's the Gospel of Luke about Jesus. We're in Luke chapter 5, verse 17 through 26. And the main thing is today, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. I want you all to say that with me, okay? Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Okay, so I found this, this meme here that I thought it was fantastic. I want to share it with you guys. Your diet is not only what you eat. It is what you watch, what you listen to, what you read, and the people you hang around. Pay attention to what you feed your soul, not just your stomach. It's interesting that this also includes the people you hang around. Uh, it is so true. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. All right, and I've been doing uh, ministry in jails and addiction recovery since 2012. Um, and I've met a lot of addicts, a lot of people in recovery. Um, I've seen a few successes, but mostly failures. I wish I, I wish I could say it was different, but it's not. Um, the person in jail for addiction-related crimes has about a 70% uh, a relapsing rate. Um, it's called the recidivism rate. Has a 70% chance of being arrested and reincarcerated within two years. I don't know if you knew that or not. The average addict will go to recovery seven times before kicking it to the curb. With such an extremely high failure rate, what is the key to the change? Well, this is what I've seen since in the last 12 years. Your circle. You know when I know people are serious about recovery? It's not when they make big promises and big pledges and big statements about their life change. No, that's, that's, that means nothing. 
What matters is who they surround themselves with when they get out. If the person goes right back to their friends, right back to the same situation, I know it's only a matter of time before they're full-blown addicts again. But if they move away from that and they, they surround themselves with people that are going to work every day, people that are doing the family thing, people that are in church, if that's who their circle is, they, they're, they're going to they're gonna do well. I've seen it over 12 years, 100%. Um, I've seen a lot of married folks over the years. I've done a lot of weddings, done a lot of marriage conferences and counseling. I've also seen a lot of divorces, y'all. Um, Want to know what the number one determiner of whether your marriage is going to survive or not is? You guessed it, your circle. Um, the uh, married couples who hang out with other married couples that have the same values and everything, they've got a very good chance of staying together. Not saying it's bulletproof, but that's, uh, they rarely get divorced. But a husband who hangs out with, with single guys uh, or a wife who hangs out with single ladies every weekend, marriage is going to end pretty soon. Uh, I've seen a lot of people convert to Christianity, you all. I get baptized, get fired up about church, about things, about Jesus. I've seen most of them fall away. I wish it wasn't the truth, but I have. Leave church, deconstruct, whatever you want to call it. You want to know the ones who actually stay in the Christian faith? You guessed it. People are regular in church and have a, a, surround themselves with a, a circle of Christian friends. Plain and simple. Um, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Just plain and simple. I've talked with parents who are very concerned with their kids' behavior. You know what my first question is? Who's their circle? Who are they hanging out with? Who are they in close fellowship with? Who are they talking to online? Who is their circle? If they have functional friends, that behavior will stop real soon. If they have toxic circle of friends, no wonder. I've also seen people date the wrong person. I love this. I saw this. Oh, this is hilarious. This picture of this cheetah with the deer. He's not born again, but I love him. The Lord will use me to win him over. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Your circle matters, y'all. It really, really does. And that, with very few exceptions, you all, is the rule of life. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And the Gospel of Luke shows this very poignantly, poignantly, extremely awesome way. You turn to Luke chapter 5, verse 17 through 26. It says this, one day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men carrying a came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on their, check this out, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Through the Pharisees and the teacher of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking such things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or say get up and walk. But I want you to know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been, laying, been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Before we get into this, everyone talk, talk about, talks about this passage that a paralyzed man was miraculously healed. That's a big miracle. I think the bigger miracle, honestly, if I, if I was honest, I think the bigger miracle was that a grown man had four grown friends. I, I don't know how many of you all have four friends. Not many. 
Uh, someone said that everyone talks about Jesus walking on water, but never his greatest miracle of having 12 close friends in his 30s. We learned several things from this passage of scripture, guys. The first thing we learned is this. You need a circle of audacious friends that will not take no for an answer. If you guys notice, they get to the crowd. They get, they get there, and the people are crowded, and they can't get in there. You know that one of them said, well, there's no way we can get him to Jesus. There's no way. Let's just, let's just go to the house. We, we missed her. We'll, we'll, we'll try some other time, right? You know, what? at least one of the people said that. But there's always that one guy who just doesn't really care what everyone, what everyone else thinks, and, and they, don't, uh, they, they don't seem to mind, and they're like, no, 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 what we're going to do, we're going to climb up on the roof, and we're going to destroy this roof, and we're going to lower Jesus straight down to him. Think about that. Now, I, I'm a homeowner, y'all. And if someone climbed up on my roof and destroyed, my, made a hole in my roof big enough to lower a person through, I'd have a problem with that. I don't know about you all. Maybe y'all are more spiritual than me, but that would upset me, right? Doesn't seem to bother these people. Doesn't seem to bother them at all. They take time out of their day. They see their friend paralyzed. Probably, this was very common uh, in, in this society. There, there were construction accidents. There were uh, people got kicked by donkeys, you know, that, that kind of thing. And that society, so paralysis of breaking them back or something was very common. So uh, th- it, that's probably what had happened. And no, there are no safety standards or no OSHA, you know, no nothing. All right, tons of injuries. And so his friends hear that Jesus is near. And they're like, hey, we're going we're gonna to get together. We're going to take our friend we're going to pick him up on his map. We're going to carry him there. Just think about that right there. Huge crowd. They could have thought that God was too busy. They could have thought that, ah, we tried. But they didn't. They were audacious, and they were not going to take no for an answer. My question is, do you have friends like that? Second thing, are you a friend like that? They care so much about your friends that you're just not going to take no for an answer. You're going to get that person to Jesus no matter what it takes. That's the kind of church, the kind of friends you need, the kind of friend you need to be. And they drop this guy right in front of Jesus. Now, you would think that Jesus, he was teaching and everything like this. He sees them destroying the roof. Probably stuff was getting on him you know, if you destroy a roof, it's not clean. You know, stuff is falling down, particles, debris is falling down. Jesus is looking right up, and all of a sudden, here comes this guy on a mat down here, interrupts his teaching, destroys the roof, gets him all, all nasty, gets him all covered with roofing stuff, and Jesus looks at him and says, get thee behind me, right? No, 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 no. It doesn't seem to bother Jesus at all. Matter of fact, he likes this. He likes these audacious people that barge in and disrupt what's going on and they destroy a roof and everything. You know why? Because he saw their faith. Because Jesus is more into demonstrations of faith than he is proper protocol. Find that about Jesus here. Homeowners probably say, waiting for Jesus to rebuke them. Thou shalt not destroy property. No, Jesus doesn't say a word. In fact, Jesus didn't see any. They saw one thing, their faith. And number two, he was healed because of their faith, not his. Now, don't miss this, Americans, people in a Western culture, in a Western mindset. Don't miss this. 
Okay, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, in our, our Western understanding, how many times have you heard that? Oh, faith is a personal thing to me. I, I, I have my own beliefs. I do my own thing. It is personal to me. How many of y'all have heard that? Absolutely. Do you understand that's not in the Bible? It's not in the Bible at all. The, the Bible is not an American document. It is a Middle Eastern document. It, is, it, it was not written in America. So we're like, well, how could the guy's sins be forgiven? He, wasn't, he didn't repent, did he? He didn't ask forgiveness. He didn't pray the prayer. He didn't get in the baptistry. How in the world could his sins have been forgiven? Well, maybe the Bible is showing us something here. His sins were forgiven because of their faith. This is why your circle matters. Your circle of friends can literally be the one, that, that, that thing that Jesus sees. What it says right here, their, your, sin, your sins are forgiven because of their faith. How many of you all, and, this, and you, you all know this to be true, how many of you all have been brought back from the brink because of Christian friends? You were, you were so bent out of shape, you were so uh, lost, you were every, and you had Christian friends that literally threw a lasso around you and brought you back to Jesus. How many of you all have people like that? Absolutely, a lot of us are only here because of people like that, okay? So, so it is their faith that brought them up. One of the, um, one of the most poignant times in my life of this was I was not the paralyzed man. I was one of the friends. And a friend of mine who was just broken beyond belief, you're gonna hear his testimony in just a second, was broken beyond belief. His home fell apart, his life fell apart, his ministry fell apart. And the Holy Spirit of God, I kid you not, in one of the rare times he's spoken to me, said, do not let him go. So I called him up. And he was driving around. He goes, what? And I said, man, um, how are you doing? Well, and he, and he listed off everything that had happened. And I said, okay, well, you going to be in church this Sunday? And he goes, he goes no. And Dave, don't you ever, and, and use some, some four-letter words towards me. And hung up. Don't you ever call me again. That's the sanitized version. So I called him back. And he goes, Dave, I told you not to call me. He said, the Holy Spirit of God is not letting me let you go. So I'm going to just keep calling. He goes, click. So I called him back. And this time, he didn't, even, he didn't even try to say hello. He goes, Dave, if you don't leave me alone, da, 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 and I can't repeat what he said next. So I called him again and again and again because he needed to get to Jesus. Here's his testimony right here. Good morning, Catalyst Christian Church. My name is Rob Esposito, for those of you who guys don't know me. And um, Dave told me that this weekend, you guys are going to be learning about the, the paralyzed man. The man who had friends who literally carried him to Jesus because they knew that only Jesus could heal what he faced. And I, you know, sometimes we need friends around us like that. We need friends that are willing to take us and bring us to Jesus, sometimes kicking and screaming because they know that only he can heal us. I have a confession to make. About 12 years ago, I was the paralyzed man. I was hurting. I was going through a divorce. My wife had kicked me out of my house. Um, it's hard sometimes to remember that time because 
I remember I was struggling in ministry and it just seemed like everything hit at just the right or wrong time. And I was done. I was done. I was done with church. I was done with ministry. I was just done with people. I was done with it all. And I got a phone call from Dave, who is one of those friends in my life. And he said, man, Rob, how are you doing? And I rather emphatically told him, I don't want to talk to you or God or anybody else. I'm done. I'm out. I'm leaving. I just didn't want to hear from him. But to be honest, it wasn't Dave. It was God. I just was at a point where I was ready to give up. I was paralyzed emotionally, mentally, spiritually. I was paralyzed. And luckily I had friends around me, friends like Dave that knew that only Jesus can heal someone who's paralyzed. People like Dave who wouldn't let me go. The Holy Spirit, literally, he called me three days later and he goes, hey Rob, and I wanted to apologize because I felt so terrible. And I said, but he goes, wait a minute before you say anything, no. And I said, no, no what? He said, I'm not letting you go. The Holy Spirit won't let me let you go. I believed I was beyond help. And Dave knew that I needed Jesus. We need a circle of friends around us that can bring us back to Jesus, even when we don't have enough faith to go in front of them ourselves. Remember that you need to surround yourselves with people like this. You need to be friends like that because you never know. Maybe one day you're going to need someone to bring you to Jesus because you're paralyzed or maybe, just maybe, one of your friends is going to be paralyzed and they're going to need you to bring them to Jesus like the paralyzed man did. Guys, hope you have a great Sunday. Love you all. Miss you all. Hope to catch you all soon. few years before that, I had been the paralyzed man when you guys heard about three weeks ago when Rachel and I experienced the death of our son. Um, we were, uh, I didn't know this, but marriages that experienced the loss of a child divorce at about an 80% rate. And Rachel and I were, were grieving and, and we, were, we were not in the best place. And I remember getting an email from Rob saying that the, the statistics of marriage dissolution after loss of a child, and the only thing he wrote said, don't let this happen, I'm praying for you. When I needed the friend, that's where he was. And so guys, that is, when, when, that is why your circle matters. Do you have people that are moving you closer to Jesus? Are you moving closer to Jesus because of your friends, not in spite of your friends? That's the question. And if you notice here, Jesus is far more concerned with his spiritual state than his physical state. He's, he's, he's paralyzed, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know how many sins a paralyzed guy can commit. I mean, I, I don't know. But Jesus need, saw, saw his spiritual state was more important than the physical state. See, we as, as, as people see the physical state. Hey, he needs healing. He, he's paralyzed. He needs healing. Jesus saw something different. He said, your sins need to be forgiven first. It's almost like the healing of the paralysis was an afterthought because your sins are forgiven. And, and, and the, uh, the Pharisees said, well, who can do this? But God, and, and Jesus says, why are you thinking this? So, hey, I'm going to prove it to you that I can forgive sins. Hey, get up and walk. 
That's the proof that I can forgive sins. See, guys, a lot of times our paralysis is not physical. A lot of times it is spiritual, and we need our sins forgiven. And there are going to be four places, that, that four times where we need friends to take us to Jesus. The first one is this right here, bring you to Jesus. When First of all, you're physically unable. When you're physically unable, like this guy, all right, uh, James 5, 16 says this, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, if you have a f- physical illness, you need a group of people who will pray for you and will lift you up and take you to Jesus, okay? Um, now, many times, many times, like Rob said, you actually have to be that person before, you have to be the friend before you can be the paralyzed man. I'm wondering, what if the healthy friends that have been sitting around there waiting for someone to carry them? I've seen a lot of that. I've seen healthy Christians waiting for someone to serve them rather than seeing people that are struggling and serving them. See, a disciple is someone who's moved from being the recipient of God's mission and the church's mission to one who carries out God's mission and the church's mission. That's the difference. That's how I know you're a disciple. You're not waiting for everything to come to you. You're actively engaging in it. Uh, in 2012, um, I went over to Nepal, right, this time of year, to, uh, and, and this is my first time in Asia, and I've shared the story before about the healing service I, I took part of. I'd never seen anything like this before. Uh, it was a Sunday. Uh, church, they have church on Saturday, so I'd already preached, and then on Sunday, all these people started showing up. Just tons of people, and it was like something out of the New Testament. They were being carried in, in wheel, wheel, wheelbarrows, there were people that were, were, that were slung over people's shoulders and they were carrying them because they couldn't walk. Cripples, para, per, people that are paralyzed, people that had broken legs, people uh, you know, it just started showing up person after person after person. And I, I was like, well, this is really cool. What is going on here? And the pastor there at the church said, well, we're doing a healing service. I was like, man, I can't wait to see this. He goes, well, he, well that's good because you're leading it. And they unfurl this banner with my picture on it. Pastor David Kibler conducts healing service. I'm like, what? Me? I can't even cure myself of a cold. I, 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 I don't have that power. God has not given me that. Was it? Well, you better figure it out quick. So I run back to my room and, I'm, and I'm, I find some passages of scripture that where Jesus heals people and everything. And I'm like, well, God, you are going. I, I have been thrown into the deep end without my water wings. Okay? I, I can't. I. I I am going to sink here, and, and all of these people are going to think that, that, that I'm some big fraud or that you're a fraud because I can't heal anyone, and, and so we're being set up to fail. Think about the faith that I had there. Think about how pathetic that was, as if it was about me, as if God was saying, well, you better do this. I haven't given you the ability to do it, but I expect you. No, that's not the way God works. So I go back, and all these people, I see it is like something like out of this. And there are people with all kinds of ailments. In Nepal, the untouchables can't go to hospitals, y'all. They're not allowed in. They have a caste system. If you're the untouchable, you're not even allowed in. You can't get health care. You're not allowed because you're untouchable. You are not, you're shut out. Jesus heals them where they die. That's the situation they're in. That's why they were all showing up to the healing service. These were not Christians. These were Hindus. And I preach, and the pastor says, all right, who needs healing? Line them up right here. And this big, long line goes out the door. And we do what the Bible says. We, we anoint with oil, and we pray for them. That's what, that's what it says. You should anoint, call the elders, anoint with oil, 
and, and, and pray. That's what, so that's what we did, and we just left it in the hands of God. And the first guy was uh, in line. His, his leg was bowed out like a D, straight leg like a D, and walked painfully. He had obviously been broken and had healed wrong. And we prayed for him, anointed him with oil, went down the line. And my favorite thing was the pastor. After, after It took like an hour to pray for everyone, anoint everyone with oil. And then the pastor, he goes, all right, testimonies, who's been healed? Knowing that there would be, and the first person was the guy with the broken leg with two completely straight legs jumping up and down, praising God. Never seen anything like it before. He had been carried by his friends to that healing service. He wouldn't have been able to make it. He couldn't walk, y'all. So he had friends that brought him. That's what you need. You need friends who will take you to Jesus when you're physically unable. Second thing, you need friends that will take you to Jesus when you're emotionally done. When you're emotionally done. Acts 28, 15, Paul was talking about the tough times in ministry. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming. And they traveled as far as the fortress of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. He was emotionally done, and there were people that came and encouraged him. And that's what you need. Guys, the most dangerous weapon, hear this, the most dangerous weapon that Satan will use against you and me is discouragement. Okay? Discouragement is his most powerful weapon. How do I know this? Because I'm a pastor. Most of my time in ministry has been one discouragement after another. If you talk to any pastor, they spend 90% of their time discouraged beyond imagine, discouraged to the point you want to quit because we preach the word of God, we see no change. We invest time in people and they just walk away. We, we t- show people a path out and they take the wrong path and they criticize you on the way out. It, it, is, a, it is a discouraging beyond imagine profession okay you feel like a failure you feel like you're not moving the needle you feel like you're throwing yourself into sermon after sermon after sermon only here eh we're leaving we're not getting fed every pastor has that so guys I got a PhD in discouragement and I know that that is Satan's most powerful tool and there are times when I'm just emotionally done y'all so are you discouragement and hopelessness takes over and you just want to shut down right whether it's a family situation whether it's kids that, that you just can't seem to get through to, whether it's your spouse that it's just, it, it, it's, it's just not working no matter what you do, you can't reach him or can't reach her, uh, extended family, toxic parents. I'm, I'm, now that I'm, I'm, I'm teaching on marriage stuff, the number one question I get is how do I deal with my toxic parents? How do I keep them? How do I establish boundaries? How, how do I keep their dysfunction from ruining my kids? That's the number one question I get in marriage, you all. Or work situation where stress levels are high and you're in danger of burnout. Guys, I get it. The state of being emotionally done can paralyze you big time. Burned out. And that's when you need a circle of friends to gather around you and pray for you and carry you straight to Jesus. See, I found this, you guys. When someone is emotionally done, someone's discouraged, you know what they do? They don't go shoot up a, a, a store or they don't, they don't uh, burn down buildings. No, you know what people that are emotionally done do? They withdraw. They isolate. The people that they love, they stop talking to them. 
their friends, they stop taking their texts. The family members that they love, they withdraw. That's what emotionally done people are. That's what they do. Do you know why this is so prevalent? Because remember, Satan's number one tactic is discouragement. Why do you think that is his number one tactic? Is because if he can get you discouraged, he can get you to withdraw. That's the natural thing human beings do. Well, the Bible tells us that Satan hunts like a lion. Anyone ever seen a lion hunt? A lion does not charge into the pack. It doesn't charge into the church because we're too strong. We have people that will carry him to Jesus, and Jesus always beats Satan, amen? Okay, all right? So he isolates you. He gets you away from your church. He gets you away from your friends. He gets you away from the people that care about you, and he gets you isolated, and then he strikes. That's how a lion hunts. He isolates the, 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 whatever, the, the, whatever his prey is from the pack, and then he strikes. And that's exactly what I'm preaching against today. When you are emotionally done and you're tempted to withdraw and you're tempted to isolate, that is when you are in most danger. I told you guys I've been working with addicts since 2012. You want to know what has to happen before you can become a full-blown addict? You have to push away every person that loves you and push away every person that cares about you before you can become an addict because sin and addiction and that happens in isolation. People that tell me that they can follow Christ and not be part of a church, I cringe because as soon as you're isolated, you're done. You're done. So if you are feeling discouraged today, if you're feeling like you're withdrawing, maybe you're, maybe you're, you're here, but you're not here. Maybe you're here because you don't want to have grief from your family or you know I'll call, like Esposito, I'll let people go, okay? And you don't want that call, but you're here, but you're not here because you're discouraged. I want to tell you, this is where you need to be, and you need to keep coming here. You need to keep coming here until you break through that discouragement. If, if I hadn't had the church, you all, if I hadn't had the church, I would have walked away from my faith a long time ago. There was an illustration of this, a scientific illustration. It's called Rat Farm. And what they did, they took a rat. Rats are social animals. I don't know if you know that or not, but they're, that they, they live in community together. And they took a rat and they put him in a cage. And they put a water bottle laced with cocaine and a water bottle with just regular water. And as they predicted, he became addicted to the cocaine. He went to the water bottle of cocaine. Next to him, they put a multi-level, multi-room uh, uh, environment with lots of rats. And the rats made friends. They put a, co- a water bottle laced with cocaine and a water bottle with just water in it. And to their surprise... They showed no preference for the one that lays with cocaine. And they were like, well, maybe, maybe friendship, maybe community has something to do with beating addiction. So they, they, they took the rat that was addicted to cocaine and put him in with the others. And as they theorized, he kept going to the one that was laced with cocaine. But after about a week, after he started to make friends, and he saw them going to just a regular water bottle. Within a week, he was only going to the regular water bottle. And they thought to myself, my, my goodness, what's going on here? Well, after, uh, after they, they studied the brains, and what they realized was that friendship and community releases the same, uh, 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 binds to the same dopamine receptors in your brain that drugs do. And when you are in love, when you have friends, when you have connections, 
you have no need for the drug because the friendship, the community fulfills all of that. Guys, that is why you need a circle of friends that will take you to Jesus. Your brain depends on it. Your emotional health depends on it. Everything, when you are emotionally done, you need friends that will engage with you and take you to Jesus. And if your friend is emotionally done, you need to be that friend taking them to Jesus. Number three is when you're spiritually adrift. Uh, James 5, 19 to 20, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. A few weeks ago, we talked about it, and it happened. If you, if you haven't seen that, I want you to go back, um, and the, the title of the sermon on YouTube is God Wants You to Live Powerfully. Go watch that. That's my personal testimony from a few weeks ago, all right? We talk about it, which is a devastating life event that causes immense grief, pain, and suffering, after which you're changed forever. It's different for everyone. It was, it was the death of our child. That was our it, right? And uh, withdrawing from church, withdrawing from friends and family, not really being sure about anything. We were spiritually adrift. A lot of us, when it happens, we're spiritually adrift. We're, we're, we're maybe mad at God. We're questioning everything. Or and, and there's also a time of youth when you're young, high school, college age, maybe you start questioning everything that, that you've been taught, that you took for granted, uh, these kind of things, and that's perfectly fine. I believe that, 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 that the truth, that truth always leads to God. I believe that. So ask your questions as long as you're tr- genuinely at, you know, seeking truth and not seeking to prove yourself right. As long as you're seeking truth, I believe it will lead you to God. Ask any question you want. But there are people that are spiritually adrift. And so do you have people that will speak truth to you, that love you enough to speak truth to you? That's the question. One of the best kids I've ever seen was a young lady named Lily Holsing. She was in my youth group. And she, uh, she had this real passion for the downtrodden and the, and the least of these. And after high school, she went to inner city Philadelphia to serve in a, on, a, on, a, on a street where half of the people were in the justice system. She tutored children. She brought hope, brought light to their life in downtown Philadelphia for a year before she went to college. A great kid, loved people, loved the Lord. And uh, she met a young man who will remain nameless. And she began, she, she, he introduced her to heroin. And she began using along with him. And she began withdrawing from church, withdrawing from friends, withdrawing from family, as addiction always makes you do. And she had people speaking truth to her. Hey, this guy's not good for you. Hey, this, this, this life is leading you away from Christ. Uh, this, this life is, is we, we want to pull you back. And she cut everyone off. Christmas Eve, a few years later, got the phone call that she had overdosed and she had died. She was one of the first fentanyl cases in Lexington. Heroin had been laced with fentanyl. And um, it was was one of the saddest things I'd seen. And the reason I bring that up is when you are drifting spiritually, if you're spiritually adrift, the tendency is, gonna, is, is going to stiff arm all your Christian friends. You don't want to hear it. 
I'm going to ask you, don't do that. Allow them to take you back to Jesus. And if you see friends doing this, spiritually drifting away, go after them. Love them back to the arms of Jesus. And the fourth one, this is the big one, is when you have a bad case of cranial rectomitis. If you don't know what cranial rectomitis is, okay, cranial rectomitis, okay. Um, Acts 3, 19 says this, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. What does it say that is bogging us down? It is our sins. We need to repent so that God can forgive our sins and God can refresh us. God can, can breathe new hope, breathe new life into us. If anybody needs that right now, I'd say America in 2024 needs that right now. How many of us know we need refreshing times from the Lord? Absolutely, that's probably why you're here. Okay, what do we have to do? We have to repent and turn from our wicked ways because that's destroying us, you all. When you're in times of active rebellion, that's what I call craniorectomitis, okay? You got your head so far up your end, you can't see what's right, you can't see what's wrong, Okay? When you are in times of active rebellion, when you're doing things you know you shouldn't be doing, things that are destroying you, things that are destroying your family, things that, that are just leading you to, down a path that you know has no good end. And you're justifying it and you're making excuses. You need a circle of friends to bring you to Jesus. The problem is that when you're infected with craniorectomitis, like I said, you pull away from your Christian friends. You don't want to hear it. Number one symptom of CR. It's pushing away people who care about you and running after people who don't care about you. And if I was to say a show of hands right now, I guarantee there are people in here who are actively doing that. Whether you're a teenager, whether you're 20-something, you are pushing people that care about you away. You don't want to hear it. And you're running towards people that don't give a flip about you. And they're just going to use you and want you to go as far away from Christ with them as possible. Because misery loves company. There are people that are doing that right now. And you say, what fool would do that? Me, you, depending on how persistent your rebellion is, depends on how much you love your sin, honestly. Yeah, I'm going to say it. Throughout history of humanity, we've seen over and over again that people will choose what they can have now over what they want most. Yeah, I'm going to say that again. Throughout history, we've always seen people choosing what they can have now for what they want, over what they want most. It happens every day. And if you're in a season of rebellion right now, and some of you are, you are the paralyzed man. You may be fighting. Uh, your cir- the circle who cares about you wants you to bring to Jesus to be healed. You're, you're, you're denying. You're making excuses. You're justifying. You're, rationaliz- you're rationalizing. Uh, we've heard it all before, y'all. Your circle can see it. You're the only one that can't. You're like my niece who wanted to play hide and seek and said, Uncle Dave, start counting. And she walked, and I walk in, and she's sitting on the couch with a blanket over her head. Okay? Everyone can see it. You don't think they can, but they can. They can see your rebellion. They can see what you're doing. And they're calling you back because they love you. Okay? You're in a season of rebellion right now. You may be a teenager who doesn't like what the parents are telling you. Your teenager's dealing with a bad case of cranial rectomitis. I'm going to speak Acts 3.19 to you, repent and turn to God before you get so far down that path that you can't come back from it or the path back back is so painful. I'm going to ask you to do that right now. If you're a teenager, you haven't made a mess of things yet. Some of you adults, can I get an amen? 
I mean, if you all made a mess of things and you had that, that, that path back, when you realize it's really tough, what would you like to tell the teenagers that are in rebellion right now? Stop! Before you go too far, come back and let God refresh you. Let God calm your anxiety. Let God calm your depression. Let God give you hope and a future. Come back before that road gets too hard. You're not in trouble with the law yet. You're not in trouble. You haven't gotten a divorce yet. You haven't had any kids yet that, you're, that you, have to leave, you have to lead to Christ. You don't have any of that. Please come back before you go too far down that path. If you're a 20-something or 30-something single, you've got a serious case of CR. Now speak this scripture to you. Repent. Turn to God and let him refresh you. Let him infuse you with a new hope because that's what he's good at. That's what Jesus did for this paralyzed man, and that's what he'll do for you. It's one of the major purposes of the church to bring our friends who are in rebellion, active rebellion back to Jesus, to love them back to the arms of the one who died for them. You should be moving closer to Christ because of your friends, not in spite of them, you guys. So main thing, main thing I want to tell you, show me your friends. I'll show you your future. Maybe some of you guys need to make some serious surgical decisions today to cut loose these people that don't care about you and are leading you as far away from Jesus as you can possibly go. You need to cut them off and you need to engage with a circle that when you're paralyzed, when you're physically unable, you're emotionally done, you're spiritually adrift, or you're in active rebellion, they will pick you up and carry you straight to Jesus and not take no for an answer. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of, y'all. It's the kind of Christian I want to be. It's the kind of Christians I hope are in my life too. Your circle matters. Just ask the paralyzed man. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday.